0: Well, I'm going to shoot a lot of questions over to you right now from a perspective of someone who's learning about stable coins, looking at this UST fiasco, as it were, with a you know, current depegging, and asking this main question. Isn't the purpose of a stable coin such that it has to maintain stability? A stable coin has to be stable. So of course, taking into context of what you're saying about, you know, this is a real joy for markets, right? For it to figure out what the fair value of a stablecoin is, but you have a whole lot of investors who are looking at the crypto markets, specifically at stablecoins, criticizing the fact that it's not stable, yeah. and that it should always be, you know, worth one dollar, right, of the asset that it's pegged to. You know, you can say that right now. Okay, we're in an age of experimentation. Right. Where there are multiple ways to uh, figure out how a token like a stablecoin can be kept stable. And that the whole purpose of DeFi is to eventually, you know, get to some sort of monetary system where um, these things aren't decided by one governing body like the Federal Reserve, but uh, it's figured out potentially by code. Right. That could be one person's point of view. But bringing it back to this general market view on stable coins, most people think stable coins have to and should be stable. And if they're not, they are not considered a stable coin. So, yeah. w- so what do you say to that?
1: Well, I think it's interesting because you have even the most redeem you know, USDC is highly redeemable. You have multiple venues where you can redeem it one-to-one. And even USDC has had brief periods where for some random reason, it's traded or maybe crosses where you look at the USDC Bitcoin cross versus the USD Bitcoin cross. And it's implied price or it's, it, it itself has traded at prices that aren't $1, you know, are less than $1 by some margin. And um, does that mean USDC has failed? No, absolutely not. Um, even USDT had this problem. And there was a real crisis of confidence at one point with, with USDT. The the thing that's different there is um, with USDC, you know, it's it's fully collateralized by by assets in the banking system. Um, here, there is no banking system redemption mechanism. Um, and and with DAI, I think similarly, you have something that's based on code on a blockchain. And so I think with with uh, with stable coins, we have this this mesh where um on the banking side, you know, the question is: Is the money coming out? Is can you withdraw? And when you withdraw, how fast does it take? And, and if it's going to take three weeks to withdraw, you know, yeah, maybe that thing should not trade at that, that tight to one dollar. Um, but really, it's just around the speed and 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 whether you're still able to. Because the interesting thing is, even if a stable and a lot of people don't realize this, but even if a stable coin is insolvent, i.e., they don't have the assets. That they claim to have. They've issued a billion dollars, but they only have 500 million. As long as they're funding withdrawals, you can arbitrage any price difference. So I'll give you an example of what I mean. So let's say a stablecoin has a uh, billion dollars of market cap, a billion dollars of outstanding units, and only 500 million dollars backing it. They have some problem, some hole. Well, if their price on exchanges is trading 90 cents or 80 cents, But I can still go to the issuer, give them a thousand of this stablecoin, US dollar uh, G or something, USDG, Mm -hmm. right? I'll just create one. I'll just name one that hasn't been picked before, hopefully. Um, So if I just go to the issuer and I give them that stablecoin and they give me a thousand dollars, I don't really care that there's only 500 million backing a billion because I can redeem it. And so, as an arbitrager, I might not personally want to hold a lot of my wealth in that. I might only hold a small chunk at a time while I'm doing this arbitrage. But if I can buy at ninety cents, redeem, and get my thousand dollars, I will do that all day long. Now, sure. the, now the problem with that is if I do that, I'm depleting that five hundred million. I do I do a hundred million of that today. Now there's only four hundred million backing nine hundred million. It's not a billion anymore because I've redeemed. So the outstanding. Debt or liability It's now only 900 million, but the the cash backing it is is only 400 million. So if if I do that enough times, you know, they'll eventually run out of cash. And so this is um, this is I mean, this is literally what happened to Tether, where they had some funds frozen. They didn't, you know, they hadn't misissued anything, but they had some funds frozen in the banking system. They didn't have access to them. If they if they had a bunch of redemptions, such that you know everyone redeemed then yeah, they wouldn't have been able to pay out but but enough people had confidence that it was just frozen and you know they were communicating well and they were still processing redemptions and the fact that they were doing that is why you know it, it recovered and it traded back at a dollar and then you know tether issuance grew from kind of sub 10 billion at that point to where we're at now, which is 80 billion. And so this is kind of the the concept of reflexivity where, when you do have people see prices that are falling, more people get, you know, the craziest things put into their head, and then and then people realize like, well, actually, there's still an arbitrage mechanism, even if the the Luna market cap right now is, is about a third less than the UST market cap. So the Luna market cap, last time I checked, it's probably different now, uh, was around ten billion. UST market cap was around sixteen billion. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the, the problem with that obviously is there's more UST, which are kind of like liabilities to the protocol, um, then there are, there are assets, or the, the market cap of the, the asset base is, is less than those liabilities. And so um, again, if everyone were to redeem, you would have a problem. But as long as some people can do this arbitrage where they're buying up at, at 90 cents and 92 cents and, and whatever we see there on exchanges, Um, And then they get the Luna and then they sell the Luna. As long as enough people can do that, then even if a lot of people don't have the confidence in the protocol, it can still trade at prices relatively close to $1. But the question is, what happens to the confidence of the holder base? Right. Because the arbitragers don't matter at the end of the day. They they are performing Mm -hmm. a valuable function. They do matter from a getting the price back to the peg perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, They matter a lot. But from a keeping it at the peg and from a causing the arbitrage to end and causing calm to be restored, the holders matter the most. Um, Absolutely. Because if, if they lose their confidence, no amount of arbitrage is gonna solve the problem. And if they retain regain their confidence, then arbitrage stops being needed and it just floats gently back to one. Mm-hmm. And so that's the interesting thing that's happening right now today um you know in in the luna uh trading ecosystem and this is going to happen to other stable coins in the future other stable coins will have bank runs you know the thing the thing i'm confident about flexusd is if people want to redeem all of it we've got the collateral to do so and we can gladly process uh, 100% redemption um and that's very unique. I mean, I, I think even other fiat collateralized stable coins might not even be able to do that because because the the issue they'll have is that these assets are, are even the, f- the fixed income assets and the traditional finance assets are have to be sold and, and they, they, they don't have an instant redemption function. Um, with FlexUSD, you do have that instant redemption function because it's a deliverable futures contract that you can deliver and the next hour you'll get the other side. So...
0: And is, okay, so to clarify for our listeners, is it the case that because FlexUSD is backed by collateral that is all crypto collateral that's kept within the crypto ecosystem, that we are able to guarantee delivery versus fiat collateralized stablecoins uh, who hold some crypto collateral, but also a number of other non crypto collateral, such as treasury paper, for example?
1: Yeah, the, the, the thing I would say, because it always scares people when they say, well, FlexUSD is crypto collateralized, that means it's a volatile backed stablecoin. It's crypto and a short futures position collateralized. So this is very, very important for um, you know, listeners and people in the crypto space to understand, which is, um, yeah, FlexUSD might hold $100 million of Bitcoin or $100 million of Ethereum, but it's also got a $100 million short position on on those assets. And so because of that pairing, because it's got spot and short futures, Bitcoin goes down 90%, FlexUSD is still fully backed. Bitcoin goes up 300%, FlexUSD is still fully backed, one to one with the dollar. Mm -hmm. And so FlexUSD has no price exposure, but it is holding the assets as collateral. And yes, this is actually what gives FlexUSD that instant redeemability in any size you want, because um, let's say you're a major fiat-backed stablecoin and you buy two-year treasuries. Well, that's great. But here's the thing. Those treasuries are only redeemable at par at, from the issuer in two years. In the interim, they'll trade on the market. And if interest rates go a certain way, they'll actually lose their value. If interest rates go up, treasury yields treasuries go down in, in, in price. Yields go up, treasury prices go down. And so if you buy to your treasuries, and then later you have to sell them rather than redeeming them from the issuer, the U.S. government, you may enter into a loss depending on what's happened in the market. And that's very different from FlexUSD. FlexUSD is a situation where there's no situation where as long as the margining system is functioning, as long as CoinFlex is functioning, you're always going to be able to redeem for one because it's repo. And CoinFlex repo, you can always redeem for one. So, The trade that FlexUSD is doing is what allows it to be infinitely redeemable at one without any issues.
0: Mm -hmm. So using one USDC to mint one FlexUSD or $1 to mint one FlexUSD, and then on the flip side when you wanna redeem, redeeming one FlexUSD for USDC or USD.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So we've been talking a lot about the stability mechanism of stablecoins, the redeemability and the liquidity of stablecoins. Um, but there's also this other interesting narrative uh, that is you know threaded through coins like UST, uh, USDD, yeah. FlexUSD, right? So now we're kind of going cross category here. Hopefully our, our listeners are able to follow, but it's that aspect of yield, right? That's yeah. why, These coins are so interesting to look at, apart from just the pegging uh, to de-pegging likelihood, right? Um, There's this other narrative of yield that is being offered on these stable coins. For FlexUSD, it's an interest-bearing stablecoin. Uh, for UST, the yield comes from the Anchor protocol by staking your UST, um, with Tron's newly launched uh, decentralized stablecoin called USDD. Um, and this is what's super interesting is that it supposedly offers uh, users a basic risk-free interest rate of 30% APY. And you know i'm just kind of wondering right uh you know people who are tuning in right now that sounds a little bit ridiculous a risk-free rate that's guaranteed to be 30 i mean if it sounds good to be true it's probably too good to be true no um nothing's risk-free in crypto as we know uh you know we've both been in the space for almost a decade yeah. we've been through several market cycles nothing is risk-free about crypto there's always going to be some form of risk and so there's that argument that this 30 percent artificial uh, yield is really just a tool to generate demand or bootstrap demand for this USDD uh, stablecoin. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I think it's similar to USDn UST it's it's a it's a um, it's a very similar product and the key difference being that it's it's paying thirty percent rather than 18 uh, percent or or other percentage rates and so, and many people will decide 30% is better than 18%. you know and and but the thing that's different about it is really the, who's behind it. so Justin Sun versus Do Kwan. and and that's that's basically the bet people are making, you know. um so i th- i think it's an interesting scenario because um the question is really does this model work? cuz it's it's not I mean, which one's going to win? Well, UST is by far the biggest right now. So in that sense, amongst this category of volatile-backed stablecoins, maybe maybe UST has won that battle. You know, Tron, Tron has had a lot of success in copying things before and doing things before, so there's some questions there, but maybe UST has won that battle. But the real question is, does the model even work? Is is the idea a good idea? And I think that's what it could even be this week is going to tell us. You know, this week, next week, the next month, the next few months are going to be really interesting for figuring out whether this economic model is viable. Because it's, you know, if your assumption is only up, then it's totally viable. <laughs> then you can do anything with the collateral. You can have the collateral be anything. But um, And I don't mean, for those who are wondering, I don't mean crypto going only up. I mean... Creations, net creations being a constant, redemptions being a, a very infrequent or never occurrence. And the and the, the difference there is important. Very infrequent versus never. You know, if, if it's if it's very infrequent, you could still have problems because also the scar of sixty cents, seventy cents, ninety cents, um, mm-hmm. the scar of those prices goes in people's minds. And it can be difficult to remove that scar. But then a lot of crypto people have short-term memories. And so, you know, you have to, you have to kind of weigh all these things up and then see like, is the model a valid model? You know, I I think we're about to find out. That's the exciting thing.
0: So this model that you're talking about, it's the subsidized yield model. Is that correct?
1: Yes, not only the subsidized yield model, but the model where um, you have a a stable coin that's backed by volatile collateral. You know, it seems like an oxymoron, Mm. right? It seems Mm. like a paradox. Um, But a stablecoin backed by volatile collateral is the model that's being tested. Now, the thing that they're doing to get people to trust a stablecoin backed by volatile collateral happens to be paying a high interest rate on deposits. Um, Kind of similar to what you see in emerging market banks where they might have more risk, so they're happy to pay a higher rate um, and get more deposits in. But at the end of the day, the, the, the high interest rate on Anchor or the high interest rate that USDD thing uh, pays out that's not the thing that matters the thing that matters is whether the model works um, that interest rate is maybe the thing that incentivizes the model to work sure. um, but long term it's it's not it's going to be removed or it's going to be freely floating so I think the beautiful thing about crypto and and it's just as much beautiful as it is dangerous is we can see these experiments play out on a big screen almost as if you um, we were right there, you know, you, you can look at the market dynamics, you can look at the prices, you can look at the whole thing and just see it play out right in front of your eyes. And and that's unique. You know, if if, if this was traditional finance, these things would all be happening um, behind closed doors. And, and because it's crypto, we can see these transactions on chain. We can see these bids on order books that are public. We can see all these things.
0: Yeah, well, speaking of, being able to see this, you know, whole on-chain activity play out, and you know, really follow the drama minute by minute. Um, I did come across a post by Mika Honkonsalo, uh, who is an analyst uh, at the Block, and he was on the show, uh, I believe it was last year, talking about Uniswap alongside. Um, uh Larry Sarmac and yeah. yeah he documents his uh moment to moment observation of on-chain action yeah. uh navigating the UST crash that's the title of this blog and you know it's something that you can flip through probably within you know 5 minutes or less um but this is very telling right this is the whole point of crypto is getting to create a more transparent financial ecosystem. And along with that will come lots of issues, Um, you know, lots of parts of the ecosystem that does seem a little bit opaque. Not everything is decentralized, right? We have centralized players as well and so i think that's where we're headed right now uh regardless of the kind of different categories that we've already been talking about regardless of whether this whole new um as justin sun puts it you know stablecoin 3.0 era uh with decentralized stablecoins, coins right and how decentralized are these stable coins even regardless of kind of whether they hit their goal or their vision yeah. uh, of becoming what they set out to become um you know This space, no doubt, is much more interesting uh, than the world of centralized, uh, you know, fiat asset issuing bodies, uh, the Federal Reserve equivalents, who basically set monetary policies and, you know, make it such that everyone has to live within this regime. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we're getting towards the end of our conversation here. There's lots more we can talk about uh, stablecoins, you know, in terms of its primary use cases, right? We've been talking a lot uh, about um, the more crypto native side of stablecoins and and the perspective of uh, these stablecoin holders and also from a trading perspective as well. What is the whole other narrative that potentially uh, might not be exciting, but is a very, very big opportunity set for stablecoins.
1: Yeah, I actually think the bigger use case um, outside of all these crypto-specific things and a lot of these crypto-specific, crypto-native stablecoins is actually corporates. Um, Corporates, payments, the payments market, um, especially the international payments market where if you think about Swift and and FX and global payments, it's it's five and depending on how many things you're adding in, five to $10 trillion a day. You know, there's a lot of it, money moving around the, mar- the world. And all of that money is moving very expensively and very slowly. I would argue the time cost is bigger than the money cost. You know, a $15 swift fee is, is not that expensive if you're moving more than a million dollars. But the, the time cost of having, uh, you know, to wait one to three days uh, for your funds to clear, that's enormous. And hey, a lot of these wires are ten thousand dollars, a thousand dollars, you know, five hundred dollars, right? So that's where the fifteen dollars Swift fee or the twenty-five dollars Swift and bank fees, you know, they do eat up. The fee in terms of the slowness of your funds is the real problem. You know, for all that time, for all those three days or one day or five days, you're not earning interest. Uh, you're not able to spend your money. That. Person in that other country where where they're trying to receive your money is not able to spend their their money. What is what is soon to be their money, um, and so it's just incredibly capital inefficient. And especially in small businesses and markets where there's huge high profit margins, you know these the turnaround on capital is super super important. I think the world is probably missing out on several hundred billion dollars of extra profit, extra economic output, extra GDP. Um, by not using stable coins, both on the interest and, and time, the both on the time lost perspective and the cost perspective, to, cost in, mainly in terms of time, probably 90% in terms of time, but also more importantly on the interest lost. You know, mm-hmm. if, if, if they were all using FlexUSD, money would zip around the world, but at every point, at every eight hour point, whether it's in my hands or in your hands, it's earning interest. If I pay you. If I, you know, I'm an import-export company, I'm sending money from Kenya to Nigeria to India to America, you know, at every leg of the eight hours, every eight hours FlexUSD pays interest, someone is getting interest. Mm -hmm. And there's no period of time where that funds, those funds aren't deployed and aren't earning yield. That's the powerful thing I think about when I think about stable coins, is companies have a fiduciary duty to figure this out. Because if there is, as I think there is, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars of extra GDP, extra output, um, maybe half a trillion dollars of, of extra profit to be made, someone's going to start making it. And then everyone's going to start making it because everyone has this big, big, big incentive to to do it. And that's just going to trickle down into the whole world. That's that's going to become something that benefits everyone. Um, it's going to result in lower prices, lower prices on food, lower lower. You know, higher, higher quality on things, more turnaround, more employees employed and, and more profits for, for, you know, the people that own these businesses. And, and so, you know, this is a purely good thing and it's one area where we can make the world a better place.
0: Great. Well, Mark Lamb, thanks so much for joining me on Crypto Unstacked to break down what this whole stablecoin war is about. But it seems like we're all, you know, really gunning for the same vision here, which is making the world a much more efficient place, um, you know, better place through the use of stablecoins. And we'll start to explore more of that in future episodes. Thanks so much, Mark.
1: Thanks.